we're going to take a good hard look at offenses. Now I'm going to give you four main categories where people are most often offended. I thought about how many times I've heard someone explain away their reaction in a certain situation by simply saying, well, I was hurt or I was offended. That's why I reacted the way I did. As if that explanation made everything okay. You know, as though the fact that they had been offended made their attitude acceptable. But see, that's not an excuse. We're going to find out that when we let offenses stay in our heart, that's deadly. Now, men will seldom voice the words, I was hurt. But men can get offended just as easily as women. And even though it, they may not react in the same way, there's still going to be some kind of reaction. Now, this Bible study is a very important one because how you handle those opportunities to be offended is going to make the difference in your spiritual maturity. Makes all the difference in the world of how fast we mature spiritually. Now, it's hard to recognize sometimes when a person has been offended simply because there are so many different ways that a person reacts to an offense. You'll even find yourself reacting in a variety of ways after you've been offended. One person might explode in anger, and another person might withdraw and just pull completely away from the crowd, or someone else might cry. That's the easiest one to, to figure out. Some people will overcompensate. They'll either laugh loudly or they'll joke loudly, trying to cover up for the fact that they've been offended because they don't want anybody to know. As we go through this Bible study, I want you to make it very personal. I want you to do some real soul searching, and you don't have to tell anyone else, but at least be ultra honest with yourself. You may be saying, well, why do we have to make such a big to-do over my being offended? It's my business, and it doesn't hurt anybody else. But see, offenses do hurt other people. Those offenses will hurt our witness. They're going to hurt our ministry. They'll hurt other people's feelings. They'll hurt our spiritual growth. And so in turn, that is going to hurt the body of Christ. Now, I looked this up in Strong's Concordance, and I found out that to be offended means to trip up, to cause one to stumble, to entice one into sin, and to cause a snare. So I thought about that, and I thought, Lord, I never realized before that every time I get offended, that is actually tripping me up, and it's causing me to stumble, and it's even enticing me into sin. So now it's a little bit easier for me to want to get rid of the offenses when I realize all those things. Now, I want us to see that every offense has been custom-made. Now, what do I mean when I say an offense is custom-made? Well, I simply mean that whatever might be offensive to you might not affect me. And the things that are offensive to me might not matter to you, might not hurt you a bit. So these offenses are custom made by the enemy to fit our personalities. And if we'll be honest with ourselves, if we'll watch those times when we've been offended, we will see a pattern. We'll find out that the names and the faces and the circumstances may change. But we're going to see that same pattern where we fall for an offense in the same area over and over. Now, if we'll realize that and start watching for it, we can start stopping those assignments of the enemy that come against us. Now, I said we were going to look at four categories. So the first category is when you've been offended by a stranger. Or maybe you've been offended by an acquaintance or someone that you don't know well. Now, probably no one has been exempt from this particular category. In the book of Genesis, we find that Sarah had encouraged Abram to have a child by her Egyptian handmaiden, Hagar. Later, however, after Sarah had had her son Isaac, she looked out one day and she saw 
Hagar's son Ishmael, and he was mocking Isaac. And Sarah was very offended by that. In fact, she was so offended that she decided she was going to send Hagar and Ishmael out to die. Now God intervened and he saved their life, but the fact still remains that Sarah was offended to the point that she reacted in such a way that if God had not intervened, it could have caused a death. Now that made me stop and realize that our children are usually a very touchy subject. In fact, I've seen people who wouldn't get offended any other way become very offended if something that they didn't like happened to their children. So we need to be careful to remember that that's a place where practically everyone is vulnerable. Satan knows that and many times he's going to use it for all it's worth. I can remember a story that was told about my great aunt and my great uncle. This was years ago. It was before my time. But the old schoolmaster had spanked their child. So when the children came home and told the mother and dad what had happened, boy, they hooked up that horse and buggy and they took off to the schoolhouse in a rage and they were going to spank that teacher. They were going to whip the teacher because he had done something to their child and they had reacted to that offense. Now the sad part is that that child later ended up in prison. But that's a prime example of how putting up with our offenses is going to cause some kind of destruction down the road. It may have be destruction in our life or in our child's life, but that's why we don't want to put up with these things. Now, I think we all might be able to say, well, I'm not quite as bad as someone like Sarah. I've never put anybody out to die. <laughs> I'm not as bad as that aunt and uncle. I've never whipped a teacher. But we still need to be careful because when our children are involved, too often to some degree, we're going to find out that we're easy targets for the enemy to cause us to be offended. Now, if there happens to be something legitimate that does need to be handled, there are ways to take care of it without reacting, without becoming offended. There's times you will have to handle some situations, but we don't have to be offended by those situations. And the main thing to remember is that those children are watching how we handle it. And they're learning. See, how we handle those opportunities to be offended are speaking volumes to our children. That's how they're learning. Okay, now I want you to take note of the different ways in which offenses manifest. Now, some people will hold an offense in. The world would not even know that they had been offended. But many times at night... They'll lie awake and they'll think on it and they'll mull it over and over in their mind, go over and over it. We're going to find that that amounts to unforgiveness. And a person who is in unforgiveness now becomes a prisoner of the tormentors. Now some people say, well, I do think about it, but I have forgiven the person that offended me. Well, we need to remember that true forgiveness now is when we choose to let go of the past. Anytime that we hold on to something and we think about it and we mull it over and over, many times it will turn into resentment and it'll turn into bitterness. And it can be just as deadly as a rattlesnake. Now, there are others who will talk about their offenses. Now, they may not use the words, I was offended, but they'll find somebody that will listen and they talk it. And remember, the words that come out of our mouth are swords. Now, the Word of God is a sharper sword than other swords, but still any negative words that come out of our mouth are swords and those words then can cut. They'll cut deep into your own soulish realm. They'll cut deep into the one through whom the offense came and many times they'll even cut deep into the one to whom you're telling the offense. So we need to be careful with those words because those words are destructive. Have you ever been badly offended by a clerk or maybe a salesperson in a store? 
And every time you went back into that store, the memory of what happened began to rise up and you could even feel that anger coming up on the inside of you. Sometimes we're prone not to even want to go back into that store. Or maybe you were offended by a waitress and even to the point that you decided, I'm never going in that restaurant again. Well, I want you to think with me. If an offense toward a salesperson or a waitress can cause that kind of reaction, then I want you to think of the magnitude of the repercussions that come any time we allow ourselves to be offended by a brother or a sister in the Lord. See, there's times when whole churches have split over just two people becoming offended with each other. Now, you'll find that if you've been offended, even if you've tried to handle it, if we haven't handled it God's way, then when that person comes in, we're going to feel very stiff. You won't be able to help yourself. You'll feel uncomfortable. You'll feel self-conscious. In fact, that's a good clue. Anytime we feel self-conscious in front of a certain person, we need to look for an offense. Some people have even allowed that situation or that offense to cause them to change churches. Now, if we sincerely believe the Word of God and we believe that He's the one that places us where we belong, if we believe that God has placed us in a certain place, then He's certainly not going to use an offense to move us elsewhere. The Lord leads by His Holy Spirit. He doesn't lead by the offenses of the enemy. Okay, now I want you to stop for just a moment and I want you to think of some people that you don't particularly like. Maybe somebody that just kind of rubs you the wrong way. And I want you to ask yourself, what is it that I don't like about that particular person? Now you're going to find out that every single time that you're uncomfortable with someone, it's because they've done something that's been a little offensive to you. That could be one of a hundred things and they might not have even done it to you personally, but you've still been offended. It could be maybe the way they waste money. Or it could be the way you think that they're too tight with their money. Or maybe you think that they haven't disciplined their children the way they should and that's been irritating to you. Or maybe you think they're too harsh with their children. Or maybe they're pushy and presumptuous and you've seen them take advantage of people and that's irritated you. Maybe they're loud and obnoxious and that's embarrassed you. See, we're going to find that embarrassment is another subtle way that offenses try to disguise themselves. When we stand in judgment of someone because they don't do things the way we think they should do them, even if we're right, even if we're completely right in our judgment, that's still a reaction to our being offended. And you say, well, what if someone is out of line? What if they are causing problems in a church? Well, are we just going to ignore that? No, God is a God of order. He's a God of discipline. But today, I'm not going to be talking about church discipline problems. Today, I'm simply talking about those little annoying things that people do that grind on your nerves and that have become offensive to you to the point that it's causing strife on the inside of you. Now, if it's not handled correctly, if it's not handled God's way, then it will stunt your Christian maturity. Now, we're not carbon copies. God never intended us to be carbon copies of each other. He gave us all different personalities. And one person may be real loud and boisterous, and that might be offensive to one person, and it might be very fun and refreshing to someone else. So God wants us to come to the place of seeing each other through His eyes. See, He sees the finished product. He's authored our faith, and He's going to be faithful to finish it. Now, He's not finished with any one of us, but He does see us finished, and He wants us to begin to look at each other through eyes of faith and through eyes of love. A couple of years ago, someone told me about being offended. And they had gone to a pastor friend, didn't happen to be Lou or Jack, but they had gone to someone else, and they had told him about this particular situation. And he said, you know, 
I know that person. I know where they're coming from. He said, I came from exactly the same background. And he said, you've never been in that situation, so you will never be able to understand their actions. You'll never have any kind of frame of reference for where they're coming from. And the girl said after that, she understood for the first time that little phrase that you're not to criticize until you walked in someone else's moccasins for at least a mile. So that's what we need to realize, that we're all coming from different backgrounds. We're coming from different frames of reference. We're all different places in our spiritual growth. And God wants us to do exactly what it tells us to do in 1 Corinthians 13, where we are literally to see the best in everyone. You know, that needs to be the goal of every Christian where we say, Lord, I thank you that your love is dwelling in me and because your love is in me, I can look and see the best in someone else. Now, if anyone had reason to be offended by the actions of another person, it would have been Job. His so-called friends or his acquaintances had come to him when he was in an all-time low. It was after he had lost his children, he had lost his fortune, he had lost his health, and they were critical. They were insensitive to what he was going through. Now, we need to be very careful how we minister to people when they're going through a trial of their faith because it's very easy to be judgmental and it's easy to be insensitive when we simply look at their situation at face value. Now, there's a difference between discernment and speculation. And Job's friends had come in and they began to speculate. They looked at the situation and they speculated and they reasoned. And God wants us to come to a place where we're constantly moving in His Spirit. Now, there may be times when by the discernment of the Holy Spirit, God tells you to warn somebody because they're on thin ice. But there's other times when God wants you to come in and He wants you to put your arm around them and say, hey, between you and me and the Lord, it's going to work out because I'm going to be here and I'm going to help you through. I care. I love you. I know where you're coming from. See, in Job 42 verse 10, it says that He prayed for them. And because of that, God restored His fortune. Now, there's never a hint that Job got into unforgiveness toward those acquaintances. There's never a hint that he got into bitterness. There's never a hint that he got into hurt or that he became offended. Now, he definitely had the opportunity, but he handled it God's way, and the latter days of Job were greater than the former. Now, you may be thinking, but I just can't do that when I'm offended. When I'm hurt, I just can't. Well, one thing for sure, we're never going to do it until we start practicing. See, the Bible tells us that we're going to have to practice to discern and to do the things of God. We need to push ourselves, get out of our comfort zone and get to a place where we determine, Lord, with your help, I am going to push myself to do it your way. See, everything in the kingdom of God comes by choice. It's an act of our will where we ignore our feelings and we choose to do it God's way. Just a choice of our will. Now, whenever you have an opportunity to be offended, that's when we have to come to the place where we say, Lord, I can't do it on my own. But I choose to take your hand and let you walk me through this. I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to determine in my heart that I'm going to choose not to be offended. Now, let me give you one warning. It's possible to think that you've dealt with an offense, to think that you've handled it, when in reality, you've simply transferred those offenses over onto someone else. Now, let me give you an example. Have you ever told someone in confidence about a hurt? told somebody that you had been offended and afterwards they went out and told it and suddenly you quit being offended with the first person and you transferred that offense over onto someone else. Or maybe you've told someone how badly you were hurt by a particular person 
And instead of taking your side, it appeared that they took the other person's side because all of a sudden they began to point out things that you were doing wrong. And that offense grew to either take in both parties or you transferred it over onto the other person. See, the worst offenses that we have are the ones we think we have the right to keep. I want you to think about that. You need to write that down and, and think on it. The worst offenses that we have are the ones that we think we have the right to keep because those are the hardest ones to turn loose of. When I think I'm right, well, I just want to hang on to it. And when it's an offense, it's not worth hanging on to. And sometimes the one to whom we transfer those offenses over onto is God. And that brings me to the second category, when we're offended with God. Now, some of you may be saying, well, who on earth could be offended with God? Listen, there's a lot of people who are offended with God. Some people are offended with God and they don't even know it. It's a subconscious thing. But the Bible says, blessed is he who is not offended in me. Now, some translations will say, blessed is he who does not stumble because of me. And I used to think, well, those two translations, they don't seem to go together. Surely, stumble and offense don't mean the same thing. But if you'll remember the definition from Strong's Concordance, to be offended with someone is to stumble. Now, whenever we stay in an offense, we're going to stumble. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 4. Jesus is sending word to John the Baptist here. And he told them, he said, you go report to John what you see happening and what you hear happening. He said, tell him how the blind receive sight and the lame are walking, how the lepers are being cleansed and the deaf are hearing and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he made a very interesting statement. He said, and blessed is he who keeps from stumbling in me. Now, don't you think that it's interesting that verse 5, telling about the blind receiving their sight, the lame walking, the lepers being cleansed, don't you think that it's interesting that that verse is followed by verse 6 that says, blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me? It's uncanny that one of the offenses against God, one of the areas of stumbling, is the healing ministry of Jesus. That's uncanny. People were offended back in those days over the things that happened in verse 5. But you know, we're going to find out that just as many people are offended today by miracle healings, by the supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit. That's why if someone is offended with you just because you believe what Jesus was doing here in verse 5, don't take it personally because in reality, they're offended with God. There's an offense against God. But it's the one now that's offended by the healing ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that's going to come out the loser. Because Jesus said here in verse 6, he said, blessed is he who is not offended. In other words, he's saying he's blessed. He's the one that's going to receive the blessing. He's the one that's going to receive all of these supernatural manifestations. Now, I also come in contact with a lot of people who feel deep down that God has let them down in some way. Now, if we'll be honest, most of us have felt at one time or another that God let us down. Maybe we were praying for a relative and maybe that relative didn't get healed and they died. Or maybe we were believing for a certain job or certain finances and it didn't come through. Or sometimes we think we've heard God and we move out on what we thought we heard and it didn't pan out and then we get real disappointed and we began to throw the towel and we think, oh, I can never hear God. It just doesn't work for me. Well, it boils down to the fact that we become hurt with God. We become offended with God. Now, maybe not consciously, but there's an offense because we think that he let us down. Jack told me something that God had revealed to him years ago. Way back when we were first married, Jack went through a lot of discouragement and disappointment and depression. 
And anytime that something would go wrong, he would really have to fight then not to get into disappointment, not to feel hopeless. Well, the Lord began to deal with him and the Lord began to show him that he was offended with God. And he felt like the Lord said to him, you've been offended with me, I want you to forgive me. And Jack said he felt so foolish because he thought how ridiculous to tell God, I forgive you, because consciously he knew that God had done nothing for which he needed to be forgiven. But the Lord kept impressing him to do that. And the Lord began to show him that subconsciously as a child, when things didn't go right, his parents had been really sick for most of his growing up years. And so when things didn't go right, that as a child, he had blamed God for that. And he had been hurt with God. Then, as an adult, his conscious mind had rejected the idea that it was God's fault, but subconsciously, that offense was still there. So when anything would go wrong, he would go into despair or he would become hopeless because subconsciously, he was still seeing God as the offender, but consciously, he knew God wasn't the offender and who can fight God, so he just felt hopeless. And on the inside, there was a lot of inner turmoil. Now, there's a lot of people who subconsciously are blaming God. And as long as they're subconsciously blaming God, they're never going to fight the enemy. They're never going to realize that the things that are coming against them are coming from the enemy. So they're not going to stand against those things. They're not walking in victory because they're in despair. And they don't know it because they don't know that they have this ought against God. Now, the Lord reminded Jack of the scripture that those who trust in the Lord shall not be disappointed. And the Lord showed him that every time something went wrong where he was tempted to be discouraged, he was to quote out loud, Father, I thank you. I'm trusting you. You're not my enemy. And I'm not going to be disappointed. Listen, we have to come to a place where we realize, where we take the word of God and we realize that if something doesn't work, it's not God. He's not a man that he should lie. I love the scripture in John 16 verse 1 when it says, I write these things so that you will not be offended. See, when we realize that he put all these things in the Word of God, all these promises in God's Word, because he loves us, you know, because he's on our side. If God be for us, who can be against us? He's not our enemy. But we have to expose those subconscious thoughts and those subconscious hurts and allow God to cleanse those things out of our life, cleanse them completely out of our innermost being. Now, when we deal with those areas where we've been offended, then we're going to start being set free. But if we don't deal with them, we're going to find that they'll trip us up and they'll cause us to stumble. So it is serious business. Okay, number three category. Some people become offended by a ministry. Let me give you an example. Some people will say, well, I don't like to go to oh so-and-so's retreat or their revival because it's too lengthy. Or maybe they'll say, I don't want to go because he comes across too egotistical or maybe he has no finesse or he doesn't use correct grammar or on and on it could be. More people miss out on the blessings of God because they've been offended with some little something. Maybe some little something that one ministry does or something else that another ministry does. And they miss out and because it's a custom-made offense that's sent to cause them to stumble. Now, I'm not talking about when somebody teaches false doctrine because Romans 16, 17 lets us know we're supposed to be offended with false doctrine. Jesus was offended with the false doctrine of the Pharisees. But I'm referring to being offended with a person because they didn't do it exactly like we think they should have done it. Now, the questions that we have the right to ask are, number one, is he of God? And number two, is his lifestyle in line with the Word of God? Now, if he is, then the other things are God's business. 
Now, if that particular minister is in fact doing something that does turn a lot of people off, then that's why we're a body. That's when we need to pray for him. That's when we need to lift him up. But we need to guard against our becoming offended because when we do, we miss out on the blessing. Now, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 15. Turn on over a couple of chapters. I'm going to give you an example of this. In Matthew 15, starting with verse 10, Jesus had called the multitude to him, and he had said to them, I want you to hear something, and I want you to understand it. Now, he's fixing to share something with them. He said, I want you to hear and understand. It's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but it's what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles the man. Well, that was kind of new to them. So the disciples came to him later and said, Did you know that when the Pharisees heard this, they were offended by what you said? And Jesus answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They're blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into the pit. Okay, these Pharisees were offended. Jesus wasn't teaching what they wanted him to teach. And so that offense, the Bible says, brings in darkness. It brings in blindness. And so as they began to talk their offense, and we know they talked it because the disciples heard that they were offended. So as they talked it, then it was like the blind leading the blind, and they both stumbled. See, their being offended kept them from receiving the light of what it was that Jesus was teaching. Now, a modern-day example of this would be, well, I'm not going to this revival this weekend. I've heard that that preacher dwells too much on sin, and I want to hear more sermons on love. See, I'm offended with the subject matter. Now, that's bad enough because I'm going to miss my blessing. But the worst part is, if someone else stays home because I've mouthed my offense, then it's like the blind leading the blind, and we're both going to fall into deception. So these offenses we're going to find are contagious. And when we speak them forth, then they begin to multiply. So we've got to watch our mouth, and we've got to watch our attitude. Now, when we get critical of ministries or ministers because of their way of handling people, you know, we need to read how Jesus handled the Syrophoenician woman when she came for help for her little demon-possessed daughter. Look on down in that same chapter, chapter 15, and look on down at verse 22. She came to Jesus, and she was telling him that her daughter was badly demon-possessed. And so on down in verse 26, we find that Jesus said to her, well, this is bread for the children. This is not bread for dogs. And I thought about that, and I thought, whew, she could have really been offended over that. She could have stalked off, and she could have said, he called me a dog. See, if I ever come back to him again. She could have gotten all offended. She could have acted like a typical Gentile of that day, and she could have said, boy, that's a typical Jew for you. I'm not going back. But in verse 27, she said, even the puppies eat the crumbs under the table. I'll take the crumbs. Okay, now because she refused to be offended, she was able to receive exactly what she had come for. Now, one of the Gospels that gives this account says that Jesus, knowing her heart, knew what her response was going to be. See, if you read all the accounts of this story very carefully, we find that more than likely, Jesus was teaching his disciples a really good lesson on attitudes. Now, he saw her attitude, and her attitude was good. It was right, and she received her blessing. But I want you to think about something. What if we'd been in that crowd that day? What if we'd been there? We might not have known what it was that Jesus was doing. And we, too, might have gotten critical or offended by how he handled this woman. And we would have missed our blessing. So we need to be careful. So Naaman was another excellent example of someone who was tempted to be offended. 
He was tempted to be offended by Elisha because Naaman was the great Syrian commander-in-chief. He had leprosy and he had come all this way to see Elisha. Elisha didn't even bother to go out of the house. He just simply sent word out and he said, go dip in the river Jordan seven times. Now it's a good thing that Naaman passed up the opportunity to be offended with Elisha because if he had been offended, if he had stayed offended, he would have missed his blessing. So we need to be careful in these areas. Okay, now let's go to the other end of the spectrum. When God tells you to do something, don't be offended if people talk. You know, when we get offended with what people say about us or what they might say about our ministry, then our ministry will become ineffective. Now the Bible says that if we live a godly life, we're going to be persecuted. And any time you're faced with a persecution, then that is an opportunity to be offended. Okay, the last category, number four, offenses that come through family members or close friends. Now, there's no offense that can cut deeper than those that come through someone that you love and someone that you trust. Now, no matter how unfair the offense may have been, if you're the one offended and if you hang on to that offense, you're going to be the one that stumbles. You're going to be the one that's enticed into sin. I want you to look back in 1 Samuel 17. Now, David is a very young shepherd boy, and his father sent him to take food to his brothers. They were in the battle. In fact, the Israeli army was facing the giant Goliath. And so this little shepherd boy traveled a long distance to take food to his brothers. And in verse 26, David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine, who kills Goliath? and takes away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He's saying, who is this, this giant that doesn't even have a covenant that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in one accord with this word, saying, thus it shall be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard what he had spoken to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence, I know the wickedness of your heart, for you've come down in order just to see the battle. But David said, what have I done? Was it not just a question? Okay, now the other soldiers evidently were not offended by the questions that David was asking because they're frightened by the giant. But Eliab, David's oldest brother now here in verse 28, he was angry, he lashed out. Now probably he was embarrassed over the fact that his little brother was there asking questions, sounding all high and mighty. And so his anger burned, and he said some very cutting things there in verse 28. They could have hurt very deeply. Now that was a real put-down in front of all these older boys. He was saying, who's keeping your sheep, little brother? You're nothing but a shepherd. What are you doing out here? See, he was trying to embarrass David. Now David could have been badly offended. That would have been hard not to have been offended after that. He could have been hurt. He could have gotten in all kinds of self-pity. He could have said, well, I'm going home. Eliab has treated me this way in front of all the guys. He's made a fool out of me after I came all this distance to bring him the food. And David could have muttered all the way home, and justifiably so. And then he probably would have started remembering all the other times that Eliab had done bad things to him. He could have made a pain-inspired decision. We'll see if I ever help him again. When he got home, he probably would have said, Father... I want to tell you what Eliab did in front of all the other guys. He just made me look like a little bitty kid, and he just could have gone through all of this. But we're going to find that David chose not to do that. Eliab had actually judged his heart. He said, I know the wickedness of your heart, and nothing cuts more deeply than to have someone that we love judge our motives. But yet David, 
He refused to be offended. He wasn't about to be offended. Now, if he had gotten offended, he would have missed the victory and he would have never gone out to fight the giant. He would have missed getting to live in the palace. Now, there's giants in the land that need to be conquered. Every one of us have giants that are facing us in different areas of our life. And there are times when our offenses keep us from killing our giants. Because when we get offended and when we run off licking our wounds, then what we do, we never face the giant, we never get the victory. Now David had a very good spiritual self-image. He knew who he was in God. And when we know who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we're secure in that relationship, we're going to be able to refuse those opportunities to be offended. So God's wanting us to develop our relationship in Him, to come to a place where we know who we are in Jesus so that we can rely on Him when the opportunities come. Abraham was another one who had an opportunity to be offended with a family member. God had given Abraham the land, and when it came time for he and his nephew Lot to part company, simply because their servants couldn't get along, they were quarreling, Abraham said, Lot, you choose which way you want to go. Now one side was beautiful, fertile valley, and the other side was nothing but hills and rocks. And Lot chose that beautiful, fertile valley. Now, Abraham had an opportunity to be offended, and I think most of us would have fallen for that opportunity because he could have said, you know, I can't believe he took the good land. Every bit of this land belonged to me, and it was out of my generosity that I even offered him some of it. And look, he's taken the good land. But we find no hint in Scripture where he was offended with Lot. In fact, when the time came for Sodom to be destroyed, Abraham interceded for Lot to be saved. Now, we're going to find that we're never going to be able to intercede effectively if we're offended with people. When there's an offense there, we're not going to pray like we should. And Satan knows that. And that's why he tries to get us offended because he knows that's going to do damage to our prayer life. You know, our best manners and our sweetest disposition should be manifested among those whom we love the most. But unfortunately, so many times that's not the way it works. Too many times we take our frustrations out on the ones we love simply because we're comfortable there. We feel safe there. But see, that's where hurts and offenses come in. Of the people I've counseled and prayed with, I would have to say that at least 90% of the deepest hurts have come through family members and close friends. Probably one of the saddest cases I've ever seen were four sisters who were really close. They loved each other, and after they married, the eight of them were so close. And then the parents died, and there was a question over the inheritance. It was a minor thing at first, but some really hurtful things were said, and they paired up two against two, and they hadn't spoken to each other for years. You know who won in that situation? Certainly not the sisters. Nothing was accomplished. Have you ever thought about how interesting it is that when someone is offended with another person, there always just happens to be somebody else that's offended with the same person so they can get together and talk. Now that's a scheme, and it's Satan that's pairing people up because he knows when one has a little input and the other has a little input, that offense is going to grow much more quickly, and many times it turns into bitterness. So the more we talk about it, the bigger it grows. Okay, the last scripture I want you to look at is Luke chapter 15. This is the story of the prodigal son. Now you remember how he went out and he spent all of his money on riotous living. And he comes to his senses finally and he repents. He returns back to his father's house and he asks to be received back only as a hired hand. Now, the older brother has no way of knowing what the condition of his younger brother's heart is, so his older brother judges him. 
Because see, that older brother has been offended. Okay, in Luke 15, down in verse 25, the older brother was in the field, and when he approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summons one of the servants, and he began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry. He became offended. And he was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began entreating him. Okay, he wouldn't go inside. He was pouting. But I want you to notice that he did let his father know that he was outside. His father came out and began to entreat him, to encourage him to come in. See, he wanted the sympathy of his dad. Have you ever thought about this? Think about it. Anytime we pout, it's no fun if somebody else doesn't know about it. <laughs> Have you ever gone off and no one knew about it and just pouted by yourself? Of course we're not going to do that. We pout because we want the attention. So he said to his father there in verse 29, he said, look, for so many years I've been serving you. I've never neglected a commandment of yours, and yet you've never given me a kid that I could be merry with my friends. Okay, he begins to take on this martyr spirit. And then in verse 30, and he says, but when this son of yours comes home, it wasn't his brother now. <laughs> it was this son of his father's that has come home. He said, boy, he's already devoured your wealth with harlots, but you killed the fatted calf for him. I want you to notice that the father did not cater to the older brother when he was offended. He could have said, oh my goodness, you're right. I'm going to give you a party next week. You know, I'm going to make this up to you because you have been faithful. And I'm sorry that I overlooked you like this. But I want you to notice he did not cater. In verse 31, he said, my child, you've always been with me and all that's mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost, but he's been found. Okay, I want you to see that this is a parable depicting our Heavenly Father. And God doesn't cater to our offenses because He knows they will destroy us. He knows that any time that we get into an offense and it stays there, then He's not going to be able to lavish His blessings on us like He wants to do. Now, He knew that holding on to this offense would destroy that older brother, so He didn't do it. I don't want you to raise your hands, but how many of you have been tempted to pout and to use the silent treatment on a family member when you've been offended? Be honest with yourself. Do you know what that silent treatment is saying in loud, bold print? <laughs> it's saying, I'm trying to manipulate you by my silence into feeling guilty for what you've done to me. <laughs> Anytime that, that we pout, that's exactly what we're saying. I'm not talking about the times when you just choose not to say any more to avoid an argument, but you know when it's a silent pout. You know the attitude of your heart. That's flesh, and it's destructive. I've known children who 10 and 20 years down the road, and they're out on their own, but they're still nursing wounds that happened to them way back when they were living at home. Things like, well, my parents never did do nice things for me like they did for the other kids. I always just had to have the old hand-me-downs, or maybe my parents were unfair in their discipline, or, or they never had time for me. They were always too busy. See, they're still licking their wounds from 20 years ago. Now, maybe you were legitimately done wrong, Maybe you were mistreated, but hey, move on. God has something for us to do. See, offenses will keep us immobile. It'll keep us right in the spot where we were when we took the offense in. God says that he will return the years the canker worm has eaten. But if we keep babying those offenses, what we'll do, we're going to keep those offenses alive and we'll cause them to bind to us. We'll literally bind them to us and we'll become just as big an offense then to our children and our friends as our parents were to us. 
See, don't let your offenses cause you to become the offender. See, it's not worth it because Proverbs 18 verse 19 tells us that a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. So don't become the offender. Decide that that offense has robbed you long enough and determine in your heart that you're going to have a funeral and you're going to bury it. Don't be controlled by those offenses. See, even those offenses that we hold toward ourselves can be very destructive if we don't give them to God and come to a place where we forgive ourselves. Now, some people will stay in self-condemnation over things that happened in the past, and they'll beat themselves over the head every time they get an opportunity. Hey, call a halt to it. Blot out the memory of those past forgiven sins and then move on. Now, Psalm 119, verse 165, and I want you to take that reference down. Sounds too easy, but it works. Psalm 119, verse 165 is our answer. It says, Great peace have those who love your word, and nothing shall offend them. Great peace have those who love your word, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing shall cause them to stumble. So when we obey the word rather than the flesh, we're going to be able to move on. Okay, in closing, I want to leave you with one thought. Let your offenses work for you. If the opportunity to be offended comes because you're just too touchy, then let God deliver that. Let that offense work for you and allow God to move you on and get rid of that offense. But in those opportunities to be offended where the other person is legitimately offensive, then instead of falling for it, instead of becoming offended because of their wrong actions, let God use you to intercede and pray for them. See, sometimes God lets us see offensive people just so we can do prayer warfare for them. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you give us answers for everything that we need in your word. Lord, I'm asking that today we'll take any portion of this, Lord, that might apply to us individually, and we'll take it and we'll allow you, Lord, to heal those offenses. I thank you for that in Jesus' name.